0: Hello and welcome to another edition of the Duct Tape Marketing Podcast. This is John Jantz, and my guest today is Adele Ravella. She is the president of Buyer Persona Institute, which can be found at buyerpersona dot com, and she is also the author of a free ebook called The Buyer Persona Manifesto. So, Adele, thanks for joining me.
1: Well, thank you for having me, John.
0: So I think there's still a lot of people that this term may act actually be new for. So maybe let's start with defining what is a persona when it comes to marketing.
1: And even for people for whom it is not new, the term needs or deserves a definition because there's a lot of confusion about what it is. So frankly, the concept is simple, which is that marketers need to have a way to characterize a typical buyer of their services or solution or product, it doesn't matter which, so that they can be sure that when they make decisions about how to market to those buyers, that they're actually keeping the buyer in mind, and they're not overly persuaded by their own view of how they wish their solution would be viewed.
0: Do you know the history of the term? I, I, I think it originally comes from the theater. Is that right?
1: Well, you know, the the actual term persona. I couldn't. I'm not qualified to give you the the. Te- you know the technical definition of when that started, but yeah, the persona is, I believe, uh, some uh, sort of a idea of who you pretend to be in the world. You know, sort of like I'm going to put on this picture of myself and characterize myself in a particular way and hope that people see me that way. And it would be appropriate to an actor. Well, um,
0: and I th- I think that that's a great I think that's a great analogy for business purposes because there wasn't a, this wasn't always the case, but I think today the idea of a customer experience uh, involving more theater and that that strategy is actually um, much more like magic and and theater and that the tactics just kind of make it happen I, I think is probably a really applicable uh... idea
1: <laughs> well that's a good thought john i hadn't thought of it that way but uh... you do i suppose it all depends a lot on what you're marketing a lot of the companies we deal with are marketing you know complex high consideration products b2b solutions where it's pretty serious stuff for those buyers. But I think that, yeah, the more you get towards the low consideration or B2C products, the more true it is that uh, it's about the show you can create and and how you can sort of entertain and engage people because there's not a lot of consideration to the decision.
0: But I guess I would question i mean maybe maybe clarify that in my mind i, I think that's so true I, I think that's what's actually lost in the much bigger higher consideration b2b environment and i think that that i think today's buyer in the end in that environment is still a person and and i think that to me this idea of persona is not really just a handy tool so the sales people know how to talk about it uh, to me it seems very much um gets at the heart of us actually understanding the needs and desires of that actual buyer
1: Oh, you're exactly right about that part, John. So, And as a matter of fact, that's key because uh, this isn't for sales at all. Although sales is, is a beneficiary of a marketing team that understands the buyer really well, right. the tool, the actual buyer persona is mostly for marketers and needs to be even a better depiction of the buyer's decision rather than just the buyer. We're seeing too many people sort of describing the person and using a lot of demographic data and not getting into the context of the particular decision that they want to influence for that buyer.
0: Well, and, and so the, this is probably a good place to say, what are the basic elements of what should be in? I mean, essentially we're talking about maybe a document that somebody might create or multiple documents because rarely do people have one buyer persona. But um, what are the basic elements that you think ought to be in there to make a persona com- description complete?
1: Mm-hmm. That's great. And so we like to talk about the buyer persona in two parts. And we say that there is a person description, which uh, is pretty much, you know, whatever is useful to the marketer. And for some B2B marketers, it's information about their job title or their role in the, in the company, plus demographics, industry, company size, geography, that sort of thing. Um, but for B2C buyers, this might be something, or marketers, this might be something more about, you know, their personal lifestyle and how they spend their day and that sort of thing. However, that is not the most important part of the buyer persona. And this is where a lot of people go sort of off the rails with personas, is that they stop after describing the person. And so after a lot of, a lot of time and effort, we might, we've nailed it down to just t- five insights, we call them the five rings of insight that marketers need to have about how, when, why, and, who, you know, who is involved in the buying decision that the marketer is trying to influence. And so this is, this is what we, you know, talk about when we say some marketers are talking about the buyer's journey or the buying process, but that's only one of the five rings of insight. And there's four others, and I'd like to talk about those quickly.
0: That'd be great.
1: So the, the first one we look at is what we call the priority initiative insight. And this tells us for a particular buyer, what what's different about buyers who are actually investing in solving this problem right now? Because it's easy as a marketer to say, well, you know, everybody has these pain points and we're going to target people around these pains and we can reverse engineer those pains based on what our solutions do. But the priority initiative insight tells us Really, why do some buyers take the you know time and money to invest in this kind of solution? And why do others continue to live with the status quo? Huge insight for content marketers and for every part of marketing strategy.
0: But And, and that might be something like what's going on in their industry, what's going on in their particular business, their downsizing, their right... You know, I mean, it, is, are those the kinds of things that might make something a priority?
1: Sure. Or... It, does it take um, a new CEO being hired or I just come into this job and I had a previous positive experience with this kind of solution and I want to make a great impression or we're going through a lot of mergers and acquisitions or we're starting new product lines or, you know, we're experiencing growth in this part of the country. I mean, there's dozens of potential priority initiatives. And the key for a buyer persona is to get it down to just one or two. You know, when it comes to personas, more data is not better. We need we're looking for something that really characterizes the person who's buying from us and the person who's not buying from us. And to be able to juxtapose those and get really clear about that.
0: So it almost becomes the red flag or white flag or blue flag, whatever color you
1: want <laughs> to call it. Right? The, the the green flag. It's a green flag. Okay, yeah, there you there you go. Go. I like
0: that. That's a better color. Right. So 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 where you could actually be going, Oh wait, they meet this criteria.
1: Yeah. And and so, you know, that helps sales, but more than that, it helps us as marketers. If we're trying to generate leads, generate interest, generate demand, it tells us what's happening in that buyer's world at the moment that they're willing to even be contacted by us. The second insight is what we call the success factor insight. And this tells us, it looks kind of like benefits once we gain this insight, but the problem with benefit statements is they're also reverse engineered from what the product does. And what a success factor insight does is it tells us how the buyer describes success and in the context of their priority initiative. And it it narrows it down so we don't have 10 benefits or we're not having to summarize, you know, about our flexible, scalable, compatible, interoperable solution. But it actually gets to the specifics. Of what that buyer values as an outcome or result of buying this product or
0: solution? okay, I, I can hear people saying, "Well, that's great. yeah, that would that would be useful information, but you know how do you get that level of information? I suspect we all want to know that.
1: Yeah. so we have to we have to interview buyers, and we want you to interview buyers. We want marketers to be experts on these and the all five. We only covered three of them so far. But um, we, but we want the marketers to have the experience of hearing buyers who have just been in a buying situation for their prospect, Hear them talk and be able to probe deeply on these on these five insights.
0: Okay, and, so we'll, we'll we'll come back to that okay. interview then, so you can finish the the, the insights. Okay. But but are you also suggesting then that might be why we didn't win the sale, right? I mean, it's part of that interview.
1: Oh, of course. And so we we try to get marketers to interview buyers who chose them, who chose another, and who chose the status quo, and to create a mix of those so that they're getting a picture of what's different about buyers that they're winning and buyers they're losing and what they need to do differently.
0: Okay, so, so we've got two more factors, right? Yes.
1: Yeah, so the next one is the bad news insight. We call it the perceived barriers insight. These are the reasons that your buyers aren't addressing this problem. Something specific that they have in their mind that they believe either about your particular company or a solution or your category of solution that is preventing them. Even though you can solve world hunger and make life better for them, they still are not going to move forward until you can overcome this barrier with them.
0: Yeah, so, 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 so that might be something like a software company. It's just too much of it last time we did it it was such a pain that i don't you know i don't care what you're promising or what the price is the cost to switch in our mind at least is too high
1: exactly or your product's too hard to use or or it's for other kinds of companies or yeah sure you're selling marketing automation but you know i've heard from other people that i still can't really measure roi in a way that my boss will believe and you know i mean it's it's an amazing list of barriers that, and that's why we call it perceived barriers, because this is perception. So you can't get this just by sitting around and saying, what are the shortcomings of my product? This is from what your buyers believe to be true. It can be something that was actually broken about your product a while back, but you fixed it, but buyers still think it's true.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Okay, and number five then?
1: And the number five is their decision criteria. These are the attributes of your product or company or service that your buyer is evaluating and comparing you against their other options. So this gets down to the nuts and bolts. This tells you for the buyers that are looking at this decision in detail, and this tends to occur a little bit later in the buying process, but sometimes can be right up front. Your buyer believes that your product has to do X, and if it doesn't do X, they're not going to look at it. And, of course, this is very helpful for messaging and content marketing.
0: How do you deal with, because in my experience you know what you've described in a lot of ways, even though you could maybe only get it from interviews and and you know research that is that's not available, say, from a database, um, it's still sort of hard and fast, you know decision making. and And one of the things that I have found is that a lot of times when we as marketers are trying to get somebody to buy something from us, we're actually asking them to change their behavior, their current behavior. and And my belief is that that the way that you get somebody to do that is you understand what they believe, you know, what their fears are, mm-hmm. what they, uh, you know, how, the, what they value. Um, and, and I don't I, I don't get the sense that, I mean, where, where do we find that information? How do we add that to a, a persona?
1: Mm-hmm. Well, when we're doing the interviews, we're discovering that. So their perception of their priorities is all about what they believe is more important than doing this. You know, we didn't take, we, we looked at it and we didn't go forward because we thought it was more important to do X, Y, Z. And, you know, if you, if you listen to enough buyers talk about that, you're going to pick up on that emotional component, or it's also in the success factor insight. You know, we, we really wanted, we really needed this X outcome and we just didn't trust that your solution was going to deliver that to us in a reasonable, you know, with a reasonable investment on our part, or it's in the perceived barriers insight. You know, we just, we just thought that your we kept hearing from everybody involved that this was too hard. And
0: well, I, I totally agree with the interview. In fact, I think any size company uh, should be doing interviewing their customers and and doing. You know, maybe it won't be a, a, as elaborate as what maybe you would do for a larger organization, but I, I think there's great insight to be had in in doing any kind of interviewing. But one of the challenges I, th- I find from interviewing, um, and and I'm sure that you've discovered this sometimes too, is a lot of times, as, as try as they might, uh, customers actually don't know the answers to some of these things, or they or they. Completely rationalize you know a decision they've made based on you know past experience, and so consequently it's very difficult to get anything useful from an interview
1: yeah and and there's actually and there's even other reasons why it's hard to get useful information from an interview but i'll just taking on the ones you you described and so we do find that these interviews are far more valuable for Product, services, or solutions, which were which were reasonably high consideration, meaning that the buyers spent at least weeks, months, or even years in this assessment process. So that's why our customers tend to be more B2B companies. Because uh, if, if you're really uh, if you're talking about a consumer product, you know, I walk into the grocery store and I either choose this candy bar or that candy bar. And you asked me to tell you why I couldn't tell you because it was it was right. just it was unconscious on my part I didn't even really want to buy a candy bar because I'm on a diet and yeah,
0: but it was raining today
1: but it was yeah. I was just it was three <laughs> o'clock and I was tired and I bought it and right. so right. you know I'm not going to get anything useful and so frankly this is why you know B 2 C companies the big ones invest in choice modeling studies with complex conjoint analysis that's very you know it's really out of the price reach for. Typical marketers, and um, this is you know a huge competitive advantage that companies like Procter and Gamble and so forth have is that they're able to get these insights because they can afford these studies. And sort of the breakthrough really that we we have now around buyer personas is at least being able to do this effectively. And I'm not saying you're going to get the perfect picture, but you're going to get far more data than you have right now, so long as you have a buyer that made. A, you know, again, an investment of more than a week in in evaluating their options. They can give you a lot of data. Is it perfect? Never, but it's better than you have.
0: All right. So you do these interviews and you you effectively kind of score people along these uh, these insights. Um, what what do you do with that then collected information? Do you? You try to sort common characteristics and say, "Okay, this is you know." I, I've heard people talk when they talk about personas. Sometimes they, they actually give them names. You know, this is Bob and this is Susie, and, or this is yeah. timid buyer. Or this is this is you know destined to be small buyer. I mean, all kinds of uh, of various. Yeah, names. And, I mean, and what, what, what could... do you actually do with that stuff? That's what I. That's the bottom line, though. Is how do you how do you then bring it into a, a useful format that that can then be accessed by marketing, by sales, by you know, whoever needs to use it?
1: Yeah, and that's a great question because people can get really corny with all that stuff and get really hung up on pictures and names. And so sometimes I say to people, don't even bother with pictures and names. Honestly, that's the least important thing. The most important thing is that the marketer gets to do these interviews so, they have, so that they become what I call a buyer expert marketer. And then sharing that with others, we have a methodology for taking this unstructured data. We have people, we teach people how to record the interviews um, and how to get buyers to let them to record the interview, and they have the interviews transcribed. And then we have a, a pretty simple template they can use to find the patterns and extract just those five insights, so extract quotes from different interviews that relate to those five insights, identify the key thoughts. And then present the results in just those five categories, and um, and it, the the template also helps them to identify the pattern in it. So where's, you know, where do I need to separate my personas? Is there really a geographic difference? Is there really an industry difference? Is there really, you know, a size of company difference? And the data, there's a way to get to that data, but it's longer than we can cover in this podcast, unfortunately, John.
0: Well, so so let's say somebody's gone through that then, and mm-hmm. you've developed a number of personas for an organization. What would maybe be some typical ways that somebody would use that to inform the work they're doing?
1: Exactly. And so, in the in the last part of the, the workshop that we offer, we I, we recommend just three things that you do. Um, the first best next steps for most marketers: a to get the con- a, a message strategy for your content that is going to drive all of your content, and it's it's taking, and uh, we, sh- we show marketers how to do this, taking those few personas, and we recommend that you come up with as few as possible, and we show you how the five insights, rather than a demographic approach, results in far fewer personas, and then we show you how to get from that those insights into an underlying content strategy. And if you think about it, I mean, John, you've been around for a long time in consulting. You can see how if you really knew the buyer's priority and their success and what objections you had to overcome and who you had to impact and what their decision criteria is, I bet you could figure that out, right? So it's,
0: yeah, yeah. it's not and, rocket and I mean, science. It, no, but it, it allows you to effectively talk to them because you know them, right? I mean, right. Yeah and, yeah, and I think that that's, that's probably the, the most important element. Let me ask you about this because I, I find that uh, sometimes when I start having this, especially when I go into a client and, and start asking questions about this and trying to get them to, to narrow their focus uh, to, uh, to what you're calling personas, a lot of times it's easier for them to say, well, here's who we don't want to do business with or here's who we can't effectively serve. Um, is there a, a place for that kind of what I would call a negative persona? I mean, a description of what we're not looking for?
1: Absolutely. Yeah, that's exactly the purpose is to say, this is the buyer who's most likely to buy from us, this is the buyer who's least likely. And in a re- recent project, um, what this helped the client to do is to recognize that what they thought was their total available market, actually only a percentage of the total available market, was going to buy from them, and then they could ass- assess for themselves what it was going to take based on what they'd learned about that buyer's requirements to address that buyer and say, you know, we can get there and we can get there with this change in our strategy, or we don't want to go there. We're just going to, you know, stop trying to pursue those leads, stop sending our salespeople after leads that they're never going to win. Yeah,
0: because I imagine uh, occasionally, because I run across businesses that they don't want to they don't want to narrow their market at all because that seems like lost opportunity. And so I, I, I could see instances where you probably run into people that say, "We build us a persona for every possible uh, you know, opportunity in the marketplace. And, and I think that that's, uh, that's obviously a pretty absurd, absurd approach, isn't it?
1: Well, yes, because uh, if that were really true, then we would have salespeople to do that. So the reason we have to build personas is because salespeople get to understand the needs of a particular account before they have to sell to that account. Um, And marketing has to persuade a bunch of accounts. We have to persuade a segment of the market, and we don't ever get to listen to those people. So really the goal is to try to, as close as we can, give marketers the kind of unfair competitive advantage that salespeople have when they get to listen to the buyer's needs before they have to talk or present
0: that's great. Um so uh, buyerpersona.com and uh, as i mentioned earlier the uh, the ebook the buyer persona manifesto so uh, Adele went over these uh, these five uh, insights and and i know from reading the ebook that uh, that they are you get more detail there in in that and i would heartily recommend i think i don't even think you ask for an email address do you?
1: I don't. It's completely ungated.
0: All right. So uh Thank you so much for joining us. This is a fascinating topic, and I, and I think um, I, I think a lot of very large organizations really get this, and, and I'm finding now that uh, uh, I've been evangelizing this idea of an ideal uh, customer or persona for, for the smallest of businesses as well because I think, it's, uh, I think it's actually probably the greatest way to, uh, to create a, a much more profitable uh, business as well.
1: Absolutely, John. I agree. And thank you for having me today.
0: All right. Take care, and we'll we'll probably see you out there on the road. I know we have a a, a common friend in uh, David Mirman Scott, so <laughs> uh, maybe we'll we'll bump into each other at uh, at some event where David and I are speaking at this summer at three different events together. So uh, oh, that's so I'll, fun. I'll see a lot yes, of him.
1: David's and, a yeah. dear friend.
0: <laughs> yeah, great, great, great guy. All right. Thanks, Adele. Thanks, John.